Let's uh, pray together. Lord, thank you for the privilege of knowing you, of being in your Son, of having your life within us and through us. Thank you, Father, that in times of uh, trial, times of loss, that we're not alone. And that you are always with us. Continue to grow us. Pray that this morning you would give us ears to hear what you would say. And I thank you for, for what you're doing in our midst and in our lives. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if there's a title for this message, it would be uh, Rejoice Always. Kind of picking up where Billy left off last week. Uh, and I didn't give people in the back scriptures to put up on the screen because uh, every screen, every every passage that I refer to, I will read to you. But I will promise to give you the address. I, I want to encourage you uh, to write down because I may say something that it says this here, it says this there, and you may say, "Really?" I'll write that down and look it up for yourself. You know, I think that's real important. I uh, I really enjoyed uh, our church experience last Sunday. Uh, the tears of joy shared by our sister in the Lord when she was baptized touched my heart. And uh, the worship songs drew me in. And Billy Hire's message about joy spoke to me. And uh, he talked about the Apostle Paul. And, and Paul's challenge to the church in Philippi to rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 3.1. And how Paul explains to the people why he keeps telling them to do that. And Paul said, it's a safeguard for you. And then Billy's message talked about the specific attacks, spiritual attacks, that rejoicing in the Lord will protect us from. And it was a good word. I think most of you know I work for a children's home here in Franklin. And in my office, I have several signs that I look at every day. One of them up on the wall says, grace, not perfection. I need to remind myself about that pretty regularly because of my temperament. And... uh, I have a cross stitch that Bonnie made for me that is Luke 12.32, where Jesus says to his disciples right after he talks about them seeking first the kingdom of God. He says, fear not, little flock. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. And that's the way I think. And I like to be reminded of that. Every day, I have a little uh, wooden square sign that sits on one of my file cabinets, and it says it, it, it kind of summarizes Micah six eight, and it just says, "Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly." And then probably one of my probably not one of it, it is probably my favorite. 
uh, scripture and sign is right over my door. As I sit at my desk, I look at it all day long. And it says, well, it's uh, Psalm 118.24, which says, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, uh, you've heard when I've shared before how the Lord's dealt with me about the whole subject of time. And how I used to really get frustrated over meetings that I had to go to because I hate going to meetings. And, and just said, this is wasting my time, wasting my time. And the Lord spoke to me clearly and said, it is not your time. It's my time. And I made this day before the foundation of the world. Thank you. And you might want to consider joining me in what I'm doing. Say, yes, sir, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next meeting. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I did change in my thinking. Because it used to be the first two years I worked where I worked, I would go sit by the door, watch my watch, not speak to anyone, get out of there as quickly as I can. Now I've moved from sitting in the midst Uh-oh. and interacting and being present. Wonderful miracle. And uh, looking to see what the Lord might have planned to do this day. But I want to ask a question. What does it mean to rejoice and be glad in this day the Lord's given us? You know, every day is a gift. Some of us that are getting older realize every day is a gift. And uh, I, uh, after, after Billy spoke last week, I, I, did, I looked up the word uh, rejoice. And, 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 and it just says, well, that's the verb form of the word noun joy, to have joy, to rejoice. And, and when you look up joy in dictionary, it, it defines it as a feeling of great pleasure or happiness or delight. So I asked myself, how does a person rejoice and enter into joy? I mean, how, how do you do that? Uh, can a person just kind of flip a switch and feel something? I can't. I don't know about you, but I just can't do that. Uh, can they, can they, uh, what if they're not a feeling type person? Uh, what if they're not in touch with their feelings? Can they still... Rejoice. And I came to the conclusion, yes, they can. Because uh, whether they feel it or not, joy like love is not a mere emotion. It's, it's a characteristic, uh, even a choice, uh, that comes from being a Christian. It, it's, it's a fruit produced by the Spirit of God within you. Uh, and that reference is Galatians 5.22. You, you can't work it up yourself. You know, I've, I've had a lot of fruit trees in my yard. I've never walked out there and heard one straining to try to pop out a fruit. Just don't, don't work that way. 
Uh, it's a dynamic that's part of living in the kingdom of God. Paul tells us that the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's in Romans fourteen seventeen, and and joy is what the coming of Jesus was all about. You you remember when the angel spoke to the shepherds before there was a big group of them proclaiming? Spoke to the shepherd, the shepherds, and and he says. Uh, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Because today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, this good news was for all the people. But guess what? Jesus was born. And most people never noticed. Life went on as usual without great joy. Why? Well, I think it's because people didn't recognize that Jesus had been born for them. He was sent for them. To be their Savior. To be their Lord. But most people didn't think they needed a Savior. They didn't think they needed a Lord. They, they thought they were doing a pretty good job of fulfilling those roles for themselves already. They're like people of Israel in Jeremiah's day who God said had committed two evils. And this is Jeremiah 2.13. He says, My people have... Committed two evils, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, in order to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, being thirsty is a God-given physical need. God calls Himself the fountain of living water. And He desires to quench all of our thirst in more ways than one. But people would rather dig their own wells and attempt to satisfy their thirst by their own efforts than come to God and drink freely of the water that He offers. God says that our own wells can never hold water. They will never satisfy. He wants to be our Savior. He wants to be our Lord. He wants to save us from ourselves. <laughs> Joy, I believe, is a God-given spiritual need. People are searching for it everywhere in all kinds of ways. But, but they never are truly satisfied or fulfilled with any of the things the world has to offer. I think in my own life. You know, I was a track star in high school. Went to college on a track scholarship. And, and I, my whole life centered around races I was running. And when I would win, I would feel, all right, I won. Set a school record, all right, I, I won. 
But three minutes later, it didn't matter. You know, I've got more education than anybody needs. But once I got a degree, and you can die by degrees. And once I got a degree, and then another degree, and then another degree, it didn't satisfy. It didn't make a difference that I thought it would. When I was a coach and, and was very successful, it didn't matter a day later that you won conference or regional or almost won state. It, it didn't matter. These things that, that were so important, so all-consuming, didn't satisfy. I worked as a hospice chaplain in Fort Myers, Florida for almost 19 years. And I visited people every day who were at the end of their lives. Most of them were sad. Their lives had gone by too quickly. I mean, I don't know how I got to be the age I am. Just the other day, I was in my 20s. Just the other day. But these people's they said, you know, where did life go? They, they, they spent their whole lives digging a well. And it wasn't holding any water for them now at a time when they really needed it. They were often asking, really for the first time, what's life about? What really matters? They had the sinking feeling that the race was almost over and they had bet everything on the wrong horse. They felt like they had somehow been deceived, and they had. Now, you may think my job was depressing, but really it was just the opposite. I loved it. I'd been called to it. And I found myself sovereignly placed in the lives of complete strangers. At a time when they were spiritually thirsty. I didn't find that in the church a whole lot. Just want to tell you. I'll throw that out for free. Uh, They were looking for meaning in life. What's this all about? Doesn't matter that I got a 50 foot yacht sitting in the backyard. That don't matter. It doesn't really fulfill that much once you got it anyway. Uh, I had the privilege of introducing many of them to the fountain of living water. To a Savior, to a Lord, who, who, who had loved them from all eternity and now was capable of giving them truly satisfying presence and love to meet their needs. I had people tell me more than once, I'm glad I became a hospice patient Because I found the life that really is life. But you know what else makes people spiritually thirsty? Other than realizing, well, it's now or never. It's being around another person who authentically and humbly demonstrates righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. People, when they are around this sense that this is what's missing in their life and this is what they've been searching for, and they will react in one of two ways. 
some will be threatened. And will avoid you. Or they may even persecute you in some way. Because you are a threat to their own kingdom. Which is empty, but they don't want nobody to know. If what you have is real, then what they have isn't. Now, I've been there. I can remember sitting in church before I knew the Lord. And Bonnie could testify I embarrassed her a lot. I would be aggressively intact people that talk about knowing the Lord and, and all this stuff. I'm saying that can't be true. It's just religion and it's all dead. I was wrong. And I'm sorry I did that. But uh, I understand. I was threatened by the reality of the presence of Jesus in somebody else's life when it wasn't in me. You know, we can't both be right. One of us has to go. But there's other people who will be attracted to what you have and want to know more about it. And God will sovereignly work out a time and give you an opportunity to talk about the spiritual reality that gives your life meaning. You don't have to force it. It's going to happen. It's His job. Now, what is the spiritual reality that gives our life meaning? Well, to me it boils down to the fact that we've come to know Jesus and He now lives inside of us to live His life through us. His Spirit within us produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Galatians 5, 22. But, but that doesn't just happen automatically. You know, Jesus told his disciples in John fifteen five. he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Our part is to focus upon staying in relationship with Jesus at all times. Jesus was born for me. He's born for you. I need a Savior. We all need a Savior. I need a Lord. We all need a Lord. To the extent that we surrender to Him in both roles. In all areas of a life, not just in religious ones, I can experience the great joy that the angel was talking about what was to be. There's no area of my life that is not to be surrendered to Jesus as Savior and Lord. A lot of people compartmentalize that we've got our religious life and then we've got our real life. You know what I mean? That is bull. I don't, know how, I don't know how to say it any other way. That is a deception. It's all kingdom business. You know, in Philippians 3.1, Paul told the people to rejoice in the Lord. But then, very quickly in the same book, same letter, he repeats himself again in, in chapter 4, verse 4, when he, when he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Kind of adds another word there. 
And he says, and again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Other translation says, let your forbearance be known to all men. One of them says, let your considerateness be known to all men. I didn't know that was a word, considerateness. It says, let, let your humility be known to all men. Because the Lord is near. In Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29, Jesus invites us to come to him and to learn from him. And he describes himself as gentle and humble in heart. You see, when people respond to the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life, they're not responding to you. They're responding to Jesus in you. The Lord is near to them and they sense it. You are rejoicing. You're you're, you're finding your pleasure and your happiness and your delight. Even your identity and your security in your relationship with Jesus. Always, in every area of your life. And last week, Billy quoted John Piper, and I think it's worth repeating again. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. I want to ask you, are you satisfied in Jesus? I mean, I mean, don't answer it out loud, but answer it to yourself. Are you satisfied in Jesus? Do you look to Him to be for you what you can never be for yourself? And let me ask you a question. How do you handle temptation in trials? Sorry, I want to close with this. I do want to close with this. That doesn't mean we're almost done. But, it, 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 but, but uh, I want to close with this. Uh, how do you handle temptation and trials in your life? You know, the Greek word in the New Testament that we translate as temptation in English is the same exact Greek word that we translate as trial. I find that very interesting. You could use them interchangeably. So, so when we read in 1 Corinthians 10.13 that no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. It could just as well be translated, no trial will overtake you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tried beyond what you are able, but with the trial will provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Many people try to make this verse say, and I've heard this working as a hospice chaplain hundreds of times. You know, preacher, I hate it when they call me preacher. I did. I just, you know, call me pastor, call me chaplain, don't call me preacher. Dr. Wilde's not here. He calls me preacher sometimes on purpose. And I don't appreciate it. But... They say, you know, chaplain, the Bible says that God won't put more on you than you can stand. But I don't know about that. And I say, no, the Bible doesn't say that. (laughs) That's what I used to say hundreds of times. Because this is what it says. 
It says life will put more on you than you can stand. Trials and temptations will overtake you. This is common to man. It's part of life. God doesn't put this on you. Living in a fallen world does. But life can never put more on you than God can stand. He is in you. And He is faithful. And He will provide the way of escape so you can endure the temptation or trial. It doesn't say He will provide a way of escape. It says He will provide the way of escape. And I think that's a big deal. Because Jesus tells us that He is the way. He is the truth and He is the life. And we must look to Him to be the only way of escape when we need it. Let me ask you something. How do you feel when you're tempted? I don't don't know anybody in here that's not tempted sometimes. Uh, Do you feel shame? Do you feel guilt? You feel disappointment in yourself? Oh man, I thought I was beyond that. Well, you shouldn't. Just say it. Because temptation is a part of life, it's a part of the journey. It's the yielding to temptation that gets us in trouble. And that's the problem. And, And when temptation comes, it really gives us an opportunity to look to Jesus and ask Him to be the way of escape for us. It's really a way of getting to know Him a little better. He can handle it. (laughs) He really can. Uh, And he will be that for us if we want him to. How do you feel when you're going through trial? And all of us do. Many of us are right now. Do you feel alone? Do you feel abandoned? Do you feel fearful? Are you full of self-pity? Are you disappointed in yourself for feeling any of these things? (laughs) Well, here again, you shouldn't. Trials are normal. And here again, it's an opportunity to look to Jesus and ask Him to be the way of escape for you. He is very present to be that. If we know. I know the biggest trauma in my life Completely devastated me. Just. But one of the things that I sensed in the middle of it. Was I was not alone. Boy, that was awesome. I was not alone. James 1, 2 through 4. Says. Consider it all. Joy. My brethren, when, not if, but when, didn't say if, when you encounter various trials or temptations. The word various literally means multicolored, all kinds of different 
trials or temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We grow from the trials and temptations in our life. This phrase, the testing of your faith, is not talking about God putting you under pressure to see if you have faith enough to get through it. It's more like a lab experiment, experiment that you know, we used to do in school. God is wanting you to discover what He knows has been in you all the time. The message translation reads this passage like this. Consider it, sure, consider it a sure gift, friends. When tests and challenges come at you from all sides, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. Well, I like that. I like that concept of a faith life. The, the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. If you're a Christian, you're in Christ. And you are a new creature. You have the very DNA of Jesus. Now that bothers you. Just get over it and keep listening. But it's true. You're a new creature. Old things in us passed away with Jesus on the cross. But most of us don't know it because we've always been a certain way and we think that's who we are. And we're not anymore. New things have come to us when Jesus rose from the bed, from the dead. In fact, the Bible says that God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of His Son. And He says He even allows us to become partakers of the divine nature. Second Peter 1, 3 and 4. But here again, most of us have no idea who we are now in Christ. Paul tells the Ephesians that we have a new self who has been created, past tense, who has been created in righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4.24. Then he writes in the Colossians about this new self, and he says, it is being renewed, present tense. To a true experiential knowledge that Jesus is all and in all. Colossians 3, 10, 11. He adds, almost as an aside, he says, Jesus is our life. What did you say, Paul? Jesus is our life. Do you have any idea what that means? Experientially? I don't think any of us do fully. 
But this is where trials and temptations come in. The very adversities that the enemy of our soul means to harm us, God uses for our good to grow us in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the way Paul ends his second epistle. The very last verse of Paul says, I pray that you would grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to what happens to you. But it's not up to us to work hard to respond well. It's the faith of Jesus in us. It's Christ in us that's the hope of glory. And that's where uh, Jesus in us responds. It's where He becomes our Savior and our Lord. And that's when we learn to look to Him. Now, you will never know Jesus in some ways until trials and temptations of life force you to look to Him to be that for you. To be your joy. To be your faith. To be your peace. To be your comfort. To be your healer. To be your deliverer. To be your provider. To be your protector. The list goes on and on and on. You never start... Stop learning who Jesus is and who you are in Him. But if you summarize it in two words, to be your Savior and your Lord, (laughs) it's good. Now, I really desire to be a mature Christian. To have the fruit of the Spirit radiating in my day-to-day life. I want love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, safe self-control. To be my default setting. But uh, that's not how it works. Jesus said that I must abide in Him. I must choose to fellowship with Him. Choose to spend time with Him. Choose to get to know Him. To enjoy Him. If any fruit is ever going to be present in my life. Apart from Him, I can do nothing. (laughs) But I'm not apart from Him. I'm in Him. And He's in me. He wants me to rejoice in Him always. To find pleasure, delight, satisfaction, fulfillment in Him in all things. He promises to abide in me as well and and to be my Savior and Lord. In the way of escape from the attacks of the evil one on my journey. It's why He was born. It's why He lived and died and was raised and ascended to the right hand of the Father. He did it for me. And He did it for you. So that we could enjoy here and now 
the life that He and the Father and the Holy Spirit have shared together from all eternity. Here and now. Not one day when I die, I know it's going to get better. No, here and now. And it will get better when you die, but I'm, I'll just soon it start now. Okay? That's all I'm trying to say. It's a life of, of uh, righteousness. It's a life of peace. It's a life of joy. It's a life of power to live a life that is fully alive. Everyone is looking for this whether they know it or not. And they're looking for somebody that is walking in it. Really. Not looking for religious people. Looking for people that are walking with the Lord. You and I get to make other people thirsty. By allowing the Lord to bring forth His fruit in us and through us. And to touch a hurting world all around us. It's everywhere. It's why we were born. And it's why we're walking the earth on July the 7th, 2019. Who would have thought it? I thought the world was going to end in Y2K, but it didn't. And I just want to say, let's make sure we don't miss why we're here. Thank you.